You're listening to the Future Tech Health Podcast with Richard Jacobs. Until I reached age 40, I never realized the obvious, that we all have medical issues, or we at least have a family member or close relation that had, has, or will have them in the future. Medicine and biological systems are the final frontier. Until we've conquered death, figured out how life began, cured cancer, and understood our purpose in the universe, there's a heck of a lot to talk about when it comes to our health. Future Tech Health means I'll be covering futuristic topics that are actually already in clinical trials or even starting to appear on shelves or by prescription or available for your own use. We dive deep into stem cells, CRISPR-Cas9, the science of sleep, epigenetics, medical testing, cancer, ketogenic diets, stem cells, aging, regenerative medicine, and more. My goal for you, the listener, is to learn from these podcasts. You may very well learn something that may change the course of your life for the better, steer you towards a new career, or give you insight into addressing a serious medical problem. Remember, however, this podcast and its content is informational in nature only. No medical, tax, legal, financial, or psychological advice is being given. If you enjoy the podcast, please listen, subscribe, like, and share it with friends. Thank you. Hello, this is Richard Jacobs with the Future Tech and Future Tech Health Podcast. I have Kevin Rusovsky. He's the CEO of a company called Quanterix. The website is Q-U-A-N-T-E-R-I-X.com. So, Kevin, thank you for coming. My pleasure, Rich. Yeah, tell me about uh, Quanterix. What's the premise of the company? Basically, Rich, we are a disruptive technology company. It's at the crossroads of technology and healthcare, and we have found a way to look into the blood and see proteins at what we would call exquisite sensitivity. And we've um, done some calculations. It's equivalent to being able to see a grain of sand in 2,000 Olympic-sized swimming pools or being able to differentiate a single protein like a single blade of grass in a field the size of Alaska. So we call it like rocket science on the blood. And blood is a trevor trove of information. There's about six quarts in your body, and it travels 60,000 miles throughout the vascular structure every minute. And so it's loaded with information and proteins and DNA and RNA and really important, uh, we'll call them biochemistries, but many of them are at such levels that nobody knew they were there. Uh, Well, our rocket science has uncovered them, and it's led to um, incredible levels of new insights around both health and disease. So you're looking for parts for proteins, and uh, can you express it as like parts per billion, or how do you express the concentration? Like, you know, yeah, it's actually what we call fem- it's like femtomolar or femtograms per ml, which is like um, ten to the fifteenth. So it's um, it's incredibly sensitive. So it's it's uh, something that uh, is about a thousand times more sensitive than anything in the world. And that's given us the ability to to see really important proteins around neuro health and oncology and infectious disease that nobody else can see. And it's it's allowing the blood, which is a pretty low invasive test, to be able to reveal disease long before symptoms. And that's um, what's making it game changing. Yeah. Hmm. So what, what kind of important elements in blood are, uh, you know, would you have to measure this sensitivity level? I guess. Well, you know, it's you interesting. Know. Um, a lot of this started with the NIH, who were worried about soldiers 
because of the tra- uh, post-traumatic stress disorder that many of them experience. I think just from the Iraq war alone, there's 26 suicides daily in the United States, uh, veterans, um, based on the, the trauma of post-traumatic stress disorder. So initially, they used our technology to see if they could find the proteins of concussion in blood. And they were able to, and they published on that. And then from there, the NFL was running um, a major campaign to show the world that they cared about concussions, and they teamed up with General Electric. It was about the time that the movie that Will Smith and Alec Baldwin starred in called Concussions right. was coming out, where it talked about the Steelers, uh, many of them, uh, especially Mike Webster, getting CTE from concussions. And so the NFL was basically running a, a campaign to say any company in the world that can measure concussions, we're going to award you. And we actually won that award two two uh, years in a row, and we got put on Good Morning America to talk to George Stephanopoulos about the, the ability of our technology to measure concussions in blood. And that led then to neurologists around the world, many of the leaders buying our technology and then using it not just for concussions, but for Alzheimer's, Parkinson's, MS, um, almost all of the critical neurodegenerative diseases. And so the first big breakthrough was really when they were able to see in blood neuro health. And what's really interesting is that the first key protein biomarker that they could measure in blood was called NFL, neurofilament light. That was a a huge coincidence, but it uh, really led to a lot of articles being written with Quanterix's NFL be the salvation or the demise of the NFL. And that got right. more publicity. So before you knew it, there was a neurologist around the world measuring long before symptoms, Alzheimer's and MS and many of the neurodegenerative diseases in blood. And that's what led to the first phase of a lot of our growth. Well, all right. So as a, as a curiosity, what's the physiological mechanism by which someone gets a concussion and specific protein biomarkers would show up in their blood. Just as an example of, you know, how that's going to happen. Yep. And so the easiest description of that, and by the way, I'm describing this in neuro, but we also can do this for the heart and see heart attacks long before symptoms of chest pain, um, using, looking at a protein called troponin. We've got a whole lot of things going on in oncology as well. But let me, let me go very specific to uh, concussion and this NFL. So a neuron is a cell in the brain. And so when um, the neuron has a little cylinder on it called an axon, it extends from the main part of the cell, the neuron, out. And it has inside of it um, what's called these neurofilament light uh, fibers. And that's what keeps that cylinder, that axon, as a cylinder. So when the neuron dies or is hit with um, some kind of traumatic brain injury, and some of the neurons actually die from that injury, that neuron that dies, that little axon that's that cylinder, opens up and releases those little fibers. And those are proteins. And so now what happens is the NFL level goes up in the cerebral spinal fluid when the brain gets damaged because of the neurons dying and those little proteins, the NFL is being released. And so what happens when um, you sleep at night, there's this thing called the blood-brain barrier that keeps the proteins in the cerebral spinal fluid out of the blood. 
But when you sleep at night and you dream, particularly, the blood-brain barrier expands, and it's like a filter that opens up, and it, it allows the toxic proteins to clear. And that's why people that have sleep disorders, they don't clear many of these toxic proteins, and they're much more prone to get Alzheimer's or MS or ALS. Um, sleep disorders is one of the key factors. And so what happens in this case is that NFL fibers that got released because of the concussion, they get released through the blood-brain barrier into the blood, and then we can measure it in blood. And so when you have a concussion, um, within minutes, and, and it, the NFL actually gets through the blood-brain barrier, not just at night when you sleep, but you know immediately after the, the, uh, the incident, in blood, the NFL level then starts to elevate, and that's what we can measure. Hmm. Okay. Um, and why has it been so difficult to measure substances in the blood at such low concentrations? What gets... It's, it's primarily um, like the, the, the microscope, right? When you first invent it, you might be able to get 100x or maybe 500x or maybe 1,000x or 10,000x. But as the lens technology keeps improving, they can then see, you know, um, then you have like the, the electron scanning microscope. These keep increasing the sensitivity of what can be seen in, in blood, as an example, or in tissue. That's the microscope. Well, the same is true with any technology, if the level of the protein is so low, the technology doesn't have the ability to see it because the technology isn't good enough. It's not got a good enough magnifying lens, basically. And, and so we've been able to digitize these different ways of approaching it and rebuild using um, AI algorithms the ability to see these proteins. And so we created sensitivity by digitizing the test, and, and that was the breakthrough, was using technology to unlock the sensitivity, and then in blood, we could then see things that no one else could see before, and they're correlated then to these different diseases, and um, recently in, in Europe, for instance, some neurologists were able to see Alzheimer's disease 16 years before dementia hit, and by doing so, it's become somewhat um, revolutionary for the pharmaceutical industry because they can then recruit patients in that have very early stages of these various diseases when their drugs have a much better chance of working. It's a lot easier to put out a disease when it's very early in uh, early stage versus when it's in the last stages. Once someone has phase, uh, stage four uh, pancreatic cancer, it's very hard to reverse the disease at that point. It's so metastatic, that it's just too much to reverse. But if you can get these diseases really early, then the drug's got a much better chance to get approved and to be effective. And so that's where the drug industry has jumped on our biomarkers now, and they're recruiting patients long before symptoms, and they're able to get drugs approved much more efficiently that way. Interestingly, most drugs are very toxic. And so if you can get to a disease much earlier through these biomarkers, you can actually use less drug to put the disease out. So it's not only that it's more effective, but you can have lower dose, which removes a lot of the toxicity that these drugs have. So that's the big breakthrough for our current growth is, allow, is, is working with the pharmaceutical and biotech industries so that they can look at our and use our biomarkers to help them get their drugs approved. And that has created the first um, major phase of our growth. So for Alzheimer's, what, what did you, what were you able to see in the blood so early on 
Can you well, talk about in the it? case of the most recent uh, third-party peer-reviewed trial from neurologists in, in Europe, what they did was, um, first of all, Rich, there's a type of Alzheimer's disease called familial Alzheimer's, and only 1% of Alzheimer patients are, in fact, what's called familial, which means that you've got the genes to get Alzheimer's, and they can predict based on your genes and your DNA when it is that you're going to get Alzheimer's, you can, or when you're going to get dementia. So they can actually predict it within a year or two. And so because there's all these patients that already know based on their DNA that they've got Alzheimer's, they then know when those patients are going to get dementia. So what they did was they took all of those patients and they measured their NFL levels. That's the level of NFL means how much neuronal death, how, many, how much death of neurons have they had. And what they found was 16 years before dementia was going to hit in these familial Alzheimer patients, the NFL levels began to elevate, indicating and showing that the, the disease was already beginning to kill neurons that early, long before dementia. And that's kind of the breakthrough now that is being used to try to help, we think, the pharmaceutical industry do a much better. There's never been an Alzheimer drug approved. And you might have saw the news this week from Biogen, one of our largest customers, that they originally pulled a drug. And when they did, um, it's called aducanumab. When they pulled that beta amyloid drug, anti-beta amyloid drug, they lost $17 billion of market cap that day. And that was about four or five months ago. And they came out this week and announced that they now said if you look at the mild cognitive impairment cohort, which is a little bit earlier stage, they are showing evidence that their drug actually works. So this could be one of the biggest breakthroughs of our lifetime. For the first time, we might have um, a, a phase three trial that's going to approve an Alzheimer drug. So that's the kind of excitement that there is right now in this biomarker landscape. I guess you could also, uh, you know, theoretically look at um, background levels longitudinally of all kinds of biomarkers and healthy people. Maybe they can't be seen right now. I don't know. And then you well, could, that uh, that you actually know, it, we run a tr- we run a summit called Powering Precision Health, and we started running this five years ago when I first joined as a way to um, basically validate our technology. There was a company called Theranos that was claiming that they could see in blood a lot of these diseases. And they were doing it secretively. They weren't working with the industry. They kept saying that they had trade secrets. And as a result, there were no third-party peer-reviewed publications. And so we formed this um, this summit, Pyrene Precision Health, in order to get third-party peer-reviewed publications to validate our technology. We now have over 600 of them. And our next summit, oh, wow. uh, where we attract the, the greatest and, the, and some of the best oncologists and neurologists in the world, is going to be in Barcelona on, on November 19th. And that summit is first phase is focused on getting drugs approved using biomarkers. But the second phase is how do we prevent the diseases in the first place by measuring biomarkers on healthy people to know what their baselines are of all of these critical proteins. And so you need our sensitivity to measure baselines because the way proteins work in blood is they're at extremely low levels until there's disease. One example would be troponin for the heart attack. You can't, most, in today's technology, they can't measure troponin at the healthy baseline level. 
what happens is you have a massive heart attack, and then six hours later, the heart keeps pumping troponin into the blood from its damage. And today's technologies are capable, ultra-sensitive technologies are capable to see troponin in blood six hours after a heart attack. So when you go in with chest pain, they take your blood. If they can measure troponin, it tells the doctor that you've had a major heart attack. Well, they can only measure it only when it elevates based on having the, the, the cardiac infarction, where we can actually see troponin at baseline levels. So our second phase of, of Pyrene Precision Health is focused on, on healthy people measuring their biomarkers, and then they can measure annually any movement from their baseline starts to indicate that they've got something that they might want to get checked out. So that's the future um, is really it's that continuum of being able to see healthy, very low levels of protein all the way up to when it is that you might have a disease when the protein levels elevate. Yeah, no, that's great. Are there, um, well, how sensitive uh, does your assay have to be? Do you have to look for very specific proteins or can you do a more general assay and just see what pops up at these low concentrations that maybe you haven't noticed before? Yeah, it's a great question because um, you're, you're really kind of asking a couple questions in there that I want to break it apart quickly. One is this concept of multiplexing means that you're going to run multiple protein tests at the same time. And we just bought a new technology um, about a year and a half ago into our company that allows us to multiplex up to 10 proteins simultaneously. So that's the first step of getting to the kind of thing that you were describing, which is a broader kind of screen of proteins. The second part of this question that you're asking that, that deserves an answer is, is that every protein when you're healthy is at a different level. Sometimes the level is very high. Sometimes it's, it's actually so low you can't see it. And for instance, in the immune system, there's hundreds of proteins. They're called cytokines. And when your immune system is down-regulated, meaning that you're healthy, you don't have any disease going on, Nobody can measure those today, but once you get some kind of disease and the immune system tries to fight it, the cytokines go up in, in, in their concentration level. That's called inflammation. And so we can actually see inflammation at its baseline level, and any movement would then indicate you know, that there is something going on. And so we, we, know, we, we have to know what the protein is that you're measuring, and we could now get it up to 10-plex, and someday we could probably do 100-plex, but we actually think that the immune system might be one of the best places to do the type of thing you're describing, is measuring all of those inflammation markers. And then when you start to see one increase, it would indicate um, at a very early time that there's some disease in your body. So, you know, we'll see, but th those are some of the next-generation technologies that we're just beginning to work on. Yeah, or I can see, you know, for cancer diagnosis, if you can identify that certain cancer puts out certain metabolites or extracellular vesicles, and if they're in super low concentrations and you can find them, you can identify, let's say, a cancer when it's at the million cell stage instead of the billion cell stage. This, this is exactly right. Like, you know, today the imaging industry and CAT scans and MRIs, they, um, it takes a, a billion cancer cells in a tumor before you can actually spot it. And so even after someone's got a tumor removed and they're trying to monitor them to determine whether or not they're in remission, they might say because they can't see anything, they say, oh, they're cancer-free. But 
the reality is, is that it takes a billion cancer cells to agglomerate in a tumor before today's imaging can see it. And so there is a field that has emerged that's one of the fastest growing and most valuable fields right now in two companies, Gardens and Natera. Um, I was on a, I ran a panel uh, two weeks ago out at Laguna Beach uh, CEO conference, and they were on my panel, and we talked a lot about this field of liquid biopsy, and that's where you're looking inside of the blood for these key cancer markers when the cancer is very early stage. And then once the, the cancer starts and they treat you, it's trying to determine when the cancer is returning so that you can get back at some treatments very quickly. So that whole field is burgeoning. It's a, it's a new field. And we actually saw an announcement today, Gardent is saying they're going to do a 10,000 patient cohort study on colon cancer looking for blood biomarkers. There's another company called Exact Sciences that has a product called ColorGuard um, that you might have seen where um, it's, it's a kind of a newer colon guard. It's, you can send your stool in and determine what, instead of a colonoscopy of whether you have colon cancer. It's kind of a new field. Well, doing that with blood is like the next generation of opportunity, and Garden today announced that they're going to do a, a major trial. So we think that seeing these cancers in blood will become a big area of opportunity because if you can get to the cancer early, you have a chance of it uh, being really treated very productively. And I did an interview last week with a, a woman, Dr. Raba, that's issuing a new book called First Cell. She's an oncologist. She's uh, treated cancer patients for 30-some years, and her husband was also a leading oncologist, and they're from Columbia University, and he passed away from cancer. And so she wrote this book saying that today's drug industry is really focused on trying to extend life maybe three to six months on cancer patients, but they really ought to be putting a lot of the money into, pre, into the whole area of early detection and prevention. And so uh, we did this interview. It can be found on our website. Um, it's pretty provocative and pretty exciting around the role of um, getting to early detection in cancers and, and the, the, the monumental opportunity that this represents to put cancer in the rearview mirror, but it's going to require us to really double down on these liquid biopsy-type uh, businesses and, and technologies. Well, again, also, I know you guys can't do everything. It also seems like companies need to use your technology. Again, like, let's say if I was a company investigating cancer and I was uh, looking at the efficacy of surgeries, I'd want to see the ramp down rate of various cancer biomarkers. And maybe that's never been looked at or maybe it couldn't be looked at to see what actually constitutes a remission. Exactly one. right. I mean, this is, um, you know, my, my view and on some of my keynote slides, I say that we have the, the ability and the potential to, to redefine remission because remission today is, is really a term, as you point out, that's based on the inability to see anything that represents what you think is a tumor or cancer, and so then they say you're in remission or you're cancer-free. But the reality is, is that the, the, the cancers that you're most worried about are the cancers that are moving around in your blood anyway because they're more metastatic and they're more they're more transitory. So it's critical to see these cancers with this exquisite sensitivity in blood to truly get to the earlier stage of understanding that someone may not be in remission when they think they are. Or um, it could be that the cancer has started, as her book points out, first cell, 
long before there's ever symptoms or ever any kind of um, evidence on imaging that you have it. So, yeah, you know, this is a, a pretty provocative area because you want to keep breathing hope into anyone that has cancer, and I think there are some incredible new immunotherapy drugs that are coming that can absolutely help, but we also want to keep investing in ways to prevent the cancer in the first place. And we, we think there's already a lot of environmental factors that our biomarkers can pick up that are triggering many cancers, like eating growth hormones in the food supply, a lot of the red meats, um, and, and, and a lot of the pesticides in the food supply, as well as the antibiotics being used in the animal, uh, in the animal food chain that can you know destroy the microbiome, or smoking, or drinking, or radiation. There's there's so many environmental factors that we now know of that can actually trigger cancers, and they seem to have a much greater propensity than what you're even born with. So you might be born with the BRCA gene mutation, which gives you a high probability of maybe getting cancer, but then there are steps you can take to prevent yourself from getting cancer in the way you live your life. And having biomarkers that interact with you at a personal level is a lot of what we're trying to do with Pyrene Precision Health to empower the individual to manage their own health destiny by understanding their biomarker profiles and keeping an eye on them um, at a routine level. Are you able to um, have a sensitivity to find anything within a certain range of concentration or like how specific does your looking have to be? Do you have to say, all right, in order to measure these proteins, you know, we have to know a lot about them and look you know, our assay has to be very finely tuned, or can you look gen- generally to see what's there, again, that you may not have seen before? Yeah, it's interesting. The technology that we're using is basically miniaturized beads that are microscopic. We take 500,000 of them, and each one of them, we coat them with a million antibodies that are programmed to grab onto the protein of interest, like Velcro. So we're utilizing the traditional ELISA technology that was used by the, farm, the, the, the diagnostic industry, Abbott, Roche, and Siemens. It's a very tried and true, you know, 75-year uh, industry of just using antibodies to grab on the proteins. And, and, but what, the trickery really comes by having these miniaturized beads that then the beads fit onto a, a microarray. We call it Samoa, single molecule array, that each bead goes into one well, and then by doing so, we can isolate the well and see a single protein that you couldn't see before. So the, the real mastery of this technology is being able to break up the sample, basically, with these beads into 500,000 little samples and then interrogate each one of them. So the next generation of technology to go another, let's say, 100x in sensitivity might come from just miniaturizing these beads another 100-fold, um, or there's other ideas and thoughts that we have. And we're working diligently right now to even go another 100x because we see evidence that there's going to be certain molecules that you're going to want to measure at even lower concentrations than, than we're at today. So we feel like the field is just beginning, just like the microscope is continuing to amplify its um, sensitivity. And that's been going on for you know probably 75 years as well. We, we think that this area of measuring these molecules, these biochemistries in blood have a long way to go before we reach the limits of sensitivity that can uh, reveal clinical relevance and, and clinical discrimination. Could this um, be redeployed, you know, using your technology to pull substances out of the blood and reduce their concentration because of the uniqueness and the 
the stickiness of the beads you're using? Yeah, that's an interesting point. We right now have been focused primarily on detection and being able to measure what's in there as opposed to trying to come up with ways to eliminate what's in there. Um, that's a field that would be very different than ours. And, you know, the ability to, to look at all six quarts of blood and to remove what it is that maybe is the bad actor could someday be an interesting um, scientific exploration. The challenge, I think, is whatever it is that's happening biochemistry and all the tissues that's driving those different biomolecules into the blood will still be going on, even if you were able to clean out what it is that you might go after. So I think for us, the key is to try to get to the biological understanding of the body and then determine what is it that you have to turn off or on to prevent the bad things from happening to your body. And so our focus right now is primarily on detection, but you're right, someday maybe you could use it for filtering things out. Yeah, yeah, interesting. Huh. Um, so, what is the uh, what's ahead for you for the next few years? Is it again just partnering with uh, different drug companies to help them in their efforts, or like how many different initiatives are you working on, and which ones do you think are going to you know reach like the next level in the next few years or come to fruition? Yeah, great question, Rich. Because you know it's a lot of being successful in the business world historically has been about prioritization and trying to make sure you pick the most important areas and then drive those for growth and then move to the next area. And so we're definitely doing some of that, but we also have this Powering Precision Health Summit that we use to learn and to figure out where the next generation can help the world. We want Quanterix to give back more than it takes so even though we're growing and we went public, you know, two years ago, I think we raised $120 million just in the last uh, four months to fund our company, and it's growing very rapidly. Um, you know, our goal here is to start with the pharma biotechs and getting drugs approved that need to be approved to help those with the diseases. But then we want to move very quickly to um, what we call disease prevention, where we are allowing healthy people to monitor their biomarkers routinely and to know when they're getting in harm's way. For instance, if you have a child that's playing soccer and they're doing the header and they're killing neurons and their NFL levels are going up, we want to be able to tell parents early on that they're putting their kids in harm's way of future anxiety or depression or you know, mental issues because today we know that in the United States alone, um, a third of, of individuals at some point in their lifetime, in their lifespan, are going to have a uh, mental, uh, mental disorder of some level. We also know that people in the United States are living um, as much as six to eight years shorter than people in Japan and France, and there's been a lot of elimination of um, a lot of the bad things in Japan and France that we still are doing in the United States, primarily around obesity, the use of sugars, the corn subsidies that create corn syrup. A lot of this stuff is you know, what we think are greater purpose opportunities to change health care by going towards prevention. And so at Pyrene Precision Health, we're focused on enabling the technologies that's going to allow us to have a much longer life, a productive life expectancy, but with a much lower capital expenditure. Because today, we actually spend um, five to ten times more than Japan and France per person on healthcare, but let, yet we're living a lot shorter because we're focused on treating disease as opposed to preventing it. So we think there's a big chance here for major changes in the way 
healthcare is practiced. We call it sick care today. We're primarily managing the, the ability to treat the sick. We want to move it from sick care to health care by becoming proactive and, and really using biomarkers as preventative medicine. So that's our longer-term goal, and we think we've got a, an incredible group of people at Quanterix and also in the Pyron Precision Health movement that are really helping us drive this thing forward with a lot of passion. Well, excellent. That's great. So the website, Quanterix.com, sounds like a good spot. And where else can people engage with you and find out more about what you're doing? Yeah, I wish I, I think my my handle is K Rosovsky, um, and I believe that the, um, the the Powering Precision Health Summit is pphsummit.com, and then as you mentioned, Quanteric. So those would be the three places that uh, you know any interactions we have will try to keep you up to date and keep everybody uh, linked into the the possibilities that we think are endless. Okay, well, excellent. Well, I appreciate you coming on the podcast. Hey, Rich, thanks for having us. We really appreciate it. We'll talk to you soon. You're listening to the Future Tech Health Podcast with Richard Jacobs. Until I reached age 40, I never realized the obvious, that we all have medical issues, where we at least have a family member or close relation that had, has, or will have them in the future. Medicine and biological systems are the final frontier. Until we've conquered death, figured out how life began, cured cancer, and understood our purpose in the universe, there's a heck of a lot to talk about when it comes to our health. Future Tech Health means I'll be covering futuristic topics that are actually already in clinical trials, or even starting to appear on shelves, or by prescription, or available for your own use. We dive deep into stem cells, CRISPR-Cas9, the science of sleep, epigenetics, medical testing, cancer, ketogenic diets, stem cells, aging, regenerative medicine, and more. My goal for you, the listener, is to learn from these podcasts. You may very well learn something that may change the course of your life for the better, steer you towards a new career, or give you insight into addressing a serious medical problem. Remember, however, this podcast and its content is informational in nature only. No medical, tax, legal, financial, or psychological advice is being given. If you enjoy the podcast, please listen, subscribe, like, and share it with friends. Thank you.